1: Hello and welcome to the Thunder Buddies Podcast. I am your host for today, Michael Martin, and I am joined by the great Barry Trammell. Barry, how's it going?
0: Not bad, Michael.
1: How's it going? Going pretty well. I mean, we got some fun basketball games over the last couple of days, but more importantly, uh, we're going to start out a little bit earlier from the Sunday matinee game with uh, SGA's big performance from the Big Apple. Any big takeaways you have about his game or from the Thunder in general from that night or that afternoon?
0: Well, I get a little antsy every time Thunder goes to New York because two things happen. One, everybody talks, Josh Giddy particularly this year, talks about how much they love Madison Square Garden. And then they tend to play great there. The Thunder generally is wonderful at New York and successful and historic. Westbrook and Durant were always doing something, and we saw those guys do something you know, in terms of that uh, that offensive firepower, just, you know, one seemed like one milestone after another. So, so far, you haven't seen a ton of, and I, I assume everybody across the league is that way, uh, enjoys Madison Square Garden, but hopefully it's a place they want to visit and don't want to live there.
1: Yeah, I hope you're right. I think I was talking to a friend about this, and all the great Madison Square Garden performances are always by an opponent, never by a Nick.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the Thunder,
1: the Thunder went 145-135 to 135 over the New York Knicks. The Knicks started out strong with a franchise record 48 points, but were outscored by double digits in the second and third quarters by the Thunder. Um, I thought it was a really impressive game from a variety of guys. You mentioned Shea and Giddey. Um Lou Dort also had 24 points. He went 7 of 9 from uh, the field, 3 of 4 from deep. JRE pours in 17 and 7 on great shooting too. And then, of course, Shea is the man of the hour with another huge game where he drops 37 points on 60, 70, 90 90 shooting splits, including three steals and two blocks.
0: He was phenomenal, and uh, the Thunder was on fire from three. You know, we've grown accustomed to them, you know, sort of scraping and clawing and scratching their way to some success offensively without any kind of three-point accuracy and all of a sudden they have it they shoot really well and you sort of see what what maybe the uh the future could hold if they could if they could make some baskets from deep and that's what they did against against the Knicks so um I'm I'm detecting that SGA is starting to look a little bit more for his threes you know early in the year up until the last few games he was not doing much of that, you know. One attempt, zero attempt, zero attempt, two attempts. I'm detecting that he's getting a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more adventurous on the deep ball.
1: I think the team yeah. needs him to shoot that, and I think the other teams yeah. are forcing him to do a little bit more because he is leading the league in drives right now.
0: Yeah, you're probably right. I mean if if you're looking down the list of thunders you want shooting the three, he's high on the list. Certainly compared to his backcourt mates, he's He's high on the list um but that's that's another feature of his game you know that's what we've seen excuse me that's what we've seen from him early in his oklahoma city career in terms of success he's sort of been sliding down but i uh yeah i like everything about his game right now um and he's uh he's certainly just developing into something i actually I think it's possible that he's made the move from star status to superstar. I mean, I think that's what we might be seeing uh, right in front of our eyes. We need need a little bit more um, data, a little bit more time, but that's probably, I think, what we're seeing as this uh, 2022 23 season unfolds.
1: I think you're right, and I hope you're right. Shea's been great this year. I mean— every single year he takes it up another level higher than I thought that he could get to and just improves rapidly and vastly but uh, you talked about some of his backcourt mates I thought it was a very good game of, uh, from Shea and Giddy as a combination which we haven't seen that much this season or in the past years
0: Giddy struggled early this year he still made great plays great pass all that stuff he was still productive but he didn't seem comfortable he didn't seem ma- see meshed the last couple of games, certainly in New York, maybe Toronto. i uh, I get I get my schedule mixed up, but we've seen him really uh, sort of coalesce with with Shea, and that's a great, that's a great um, development. Now, not so much Monday night in Boston, but we'll get to that. But it's not as as, um, as Mark Dagnall likes to say, it's not going to be linear. This isn't going to be a Uh, a straight, steady climb up. It's going to be hit and miss. Giddy's still only 20 years old, but he was fantastic, I thought, um, on Sunday with that triple-double. I mean, that was was, uh, uh, just superb basketball. So, um, it's a net positive with Giddy, I think, but we're not going to see it being just sort of an explosion into greatness. That's not what's going to happen. He's going to have some... Going to have some bad games. it's going to have some struggles, um, not just in in developing as a player, but in developing as a sidekick to SGA. They're unique talents, and it's it's not a perfect fit. So there's going to be some there's going to be some misfires, and we're going to have to just sort of live with them.
1: You hit it right on the head about it not being linear. It's going to be two steps forward, five steps back, back and forth, up and down throughout the season. It's not going to just be a steady incline, like uh, you mentioned before. But Josh Giddy, yeah, he was great that game. He uh, had his best game of the entire season so far with 24 points, 12 assists, 10 boards for his fifth career triple-double. But more importantly, he is the first player since Wilt Chamberlain to have two straight triple-doubles in their first two games in Madison Square Garden.
0: I love being on a list with Wilt. <laughs> I, I, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I've never been on a list with Wilt. Um, there are some lists uh, you don't want to be on with Wilt, but... For the most part if you're on a list with Wilt, especially if it's a small list and this was a two-man list now that's uh that's a quite a noble notable achievement so um yeah it's it's uh, uh it was an historic day that's one thing i loved about this game was, is all the history that was made you're talking about the double the triple double deal with wilt and, and giddy um most points in the nba this season by the thunder most points ever scored in a nicked first quarter, and they've you know they one of the uh, landmark franchises in the NBA. Been around for since 1946, so uh, lots to get excited about about that Sunday matinee. And Giddy was near the top of the list.
1: Yeah, if you're any list with Wilt, that's usually good company to be in. A lot of people talk about the NBA record book being known as the autobiography of Wilt Chamberlain. Which uh, leads me to the next segment we're going to do here, which is Wilt or the Field, Barry. I'm going to give you five uh, rapid-fire things here quickly, records, and you're going to tell me if Wilt Chamberlain owns it or someone else in NBA history. Extra points if you can name who it is if it's not Wilt. Okay, super duper. Okay, we'll go first. Does Wilt own the record for consecutive 30-point games?
0: I'm going to say yes from the 61-62 season.
1: Yes, he uh, had sixty-five straight thirty point games, which is insane.
0: All right, SGA, there's your target right there. Right there. There's your target.
1: Wilt was a career fifty one percent free throw shooter. Does Wilt own the record for most free throws missed in one game?
0: Most free throw I'm gonna say field.
1: It is the field. Andre Drummond missed 23, <laughs> going 13 of 36 from the Charity Stripe t- in 2016 against the Rockets.
0: That would, have been a, that would have been an unfortunate game to attend. I mm-hmm. would not have enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, they talk about Hack-A-Shack. It was Hack-A-Drummond that night.
0: Yep. Bang-A-Drummond.
1: Yes. And then, um, Wilt was the answer to consecutive streaks uh, for 30-point games in the regular season, but does Wilt own the record for consecutive 50-point playoff games in NBA history? Well, heck,
0: if he doesn't, who does? I'm going to guess the f- – who would have – it can't be over two, I wouldn't think, um, if it's not Will. So I'm going to say it is Will.
1: It is Michael Jordan with two straight in All
0: 1988. Right. There you go, Michael. Yeah, before the explosion into, into uh, the Bulls dynasty. That makes some sense. I knew it. I knew nobody could really, you know, nobody's going seven straight, you know, five, seven, seven straight 50-point games. So, yeah, I should have probably known it was the early Jordan.
1: Yeah, he had 50 in game one and game two, and then they held him to 40 the rest of the series. Well, there you go. And then, uh, most consecutive games played in a row without fouling out. Is that Wilt or the Field?
0: That's Wilt. He never fouled out.
1: Never fouled out. You're right. 14-year career. Uh, career spanning 1045 games never once committed 6 fouls.
0: I wonder if he just quit playing defense when he got 4 or 5 fouls. I wonder if that's what he did. That he is a good question. Cuz you'd think he'd just tripped into a 6th foul somewhere.
1: And then last but not least, um does Wilt own the record for career tri- career triple-doubles by a center?
0: Career triple-doubles by a center. Oh, I'm going to have to say. Um, you know, I will say yes. He does.
1: He does not. Oh. Nikola Jokic broke the record this.
0: Oh, well, there you go. He That's broke the okay. record
1: against the Thunder this year, earlier in the season on November fourth, I... with
0: 85 career triple doubles. I should have. Uh, I should have been. Uh... Thinking more recently, I was thinking uh, more of the David Robinson type guys, Akeem type people. But yeah, Jokic is a is a machine on that. That's interesting.
1: But it is pretty cool just to see all the records and just know how insane it is that all the Wilt is in the consideration for all of those.
0: Well, he's one of my favorite players just because of the the, ru- the rules he helped implement. Um, you know, the, I think I once counted up there are six major rules that um are in place because wilt chamberlain came along uh inbounding the ball over the backboard you can't do that uh, that's because of wilt chamberlain um you can't uh cross the line the plane of the foul line when shooting a free throw uh because wilt could sort of dunk his free throws and often you know would until they said he, we can't have that and there's like six rules like that that they had to implement because Wilt Chamberlain so distorted the game of basketball.
1: It's it's hilarious. You just look at his numbers and it's just cartoonish. It looks like video game numbers from a guy. But um, moving on, we did have a, a fun game last night. It was an up and down loss from Beantown. How do you think the Thunder got to the point where they had a big lead against the Celtics? And then how did it go wrong last night?
0: Well, I. They- Couple things they have, they had guys really play well. I thought Poku was sensational. Um, I thought Santa Clara Williams was outstanding, and that starting lineup. You know, if if you take the Thunder box score most games and mix it up to where you can't see who started you couldn't tell who started by reading the box score other than, you know, SGA or Dort; Those guys are starting, but you don't know Santa Clara or Poku or Ken rich or who Andrew uh, Aaron Wiggins. You don't know who started last night. The five best players were pretty apparent. It was the starting five. Dagnall did a great job getting that thing lined out. Um, But um, the shooting was very good again. Um, See, so they finished 69 points, I think. SGA missed a jumper in the last 15 seconds, or else they were going to make uh you know, make 70 again, reach 70 again. I think it would have been the third or fourth straight game. Would have been three half. straight. Yes. Yeah, so they've been so they've been playing fantastic offense in the first half. So the offense was just great. SGA continuing to be uh, efficient. Uh Giddy was playing well, Dort was making shots. And like I said, Santa Clara and, and Poku were, were, were really good. Um, so uh, I also think the Thunder um, had some defensive success. You know, Dort did a great job. He was mostly on Tatum, and Tatum doesn't play against a lot of guys that small height-wise. Um and he he didn't have a good game. I think he finished nine at twenty-three, but he got a little hot late to get that done. Uh, Brown was good, but um, the the three-point shot for the Celtics was was uh, sort of uh, out of sync. So uh, that's what they did. I think they just I think they stymied the Celtics with their defense, and then and then this the role players really played well and, and away they went and had a had a chance to win that game.
1: Yeah, Tatum caught um, heat a little bit late in the game. He had 27 points. It didn't feel like it at the time. He had 8 of the 10 from the line, 9 of 23 from the field, 1 of 9 from 3. So an overall really great job from Lou Dort on uh, Jason Tatum. And then another SGA clinic where he looks like the best player on the court against an all-NBA and top-five conversation level player in Jason Tatum. Shea had 37 points on 13 of 26 shooting, including 50% from three with a couple makes, eight dimes, and most importantly, did a majority of his work against the reigning Defensive Player of the Year and Marcus Smart and two elite wing defenders and Tatum and Brown.
0: Yeah, like SGA is just—he's just rock solid. I mean, his bad games aren't that bad if you you know if you know what I mean. I mean, um, he, he's not—he doesn't drop off any of those. Or maybe he has, but I certainly—they're rare. Those those nine for twenty-three shooting games. So those don't—they those just aren't happening. Here, here here let me look. I got his his shooting here here here's what he's been shooting the last several games 13 of 26 13 of 22 8 of 14 13 of 25 13 of 23 7 of 16 13 of 17 12 of 18 15 of 27 10 of 23 11 of 22 I mean he's he only rarely goes below, below five below fifty percent shooting, and when he does, it's it's in the four hundreds. I mean, he does he literally doesn't have bad games. So, I mean, that's that's remarkable consistency. And of course, we're a little bit jaded here because we're accustomed to a superstar who you know did unbelievable magical things night after night after night. But on the other hand, he'd also go. Seven for thirty-one. About every fourth game.
1: Yeah, not on great efficiency.
0: Right. So I mean, SGA, man, that's some serious. And and like I said, his deep shooting since he started shooting again uh, quite a bit, he's seven of fourteen the last four games from deep. And in the previous uh, one, two, three, four, five, the previous five games, he was zero of six. So he's he's starting to he's starting to incorporate the three back into that game um so he's he's just playing wonderfully he assists the last two games also
1: he's also become one of the best free throw shooters in the league do you think he could be a 50 40 90 guy at some point
0: uh i think he's gonna have the 50 and the 100 down so it's gonna be the 40 which i think didn't he do that as a rookie i
1: think so on very it might have been his second year with the thunder Yeah, his first year or first here. year with yeah, the thunder was-
0: yes yeah, three point uh, yes, four eighteen in year two with the Thunder, he shot forty one percent. So uh, he's career thirty five right now, but um, that's with uh, last season really dragging him down. So I don't know if he can get to forty percent, but he's got the fifty percent mastered. Um, and he's and he's going to be, I think, the the ninety percent is going to come pretty easy. Also,
1: well, you mentioned the no bad games. What really stands out to me is his his relentlessness and how he doesn't settle for jump shots, which you see a lot of young guys who get to this level that he's playing at right now really fall in love with the jump shot and kind of shy away from contact. Jason Tatum looked like a prime example of that uh, last night where he really fell in love with the three going one for nine and not just driving. But Shea is just over and over pounding in the lane, putting pressure on
0: defenders and their interior defense. Yeah, he's got an all-around game. Um, you know, this the, – uh, the Celtics did a good job. Of course, we're talking about the league's best defense. I don't know where they rank this year, but in, in terms of established performance, and this is a team that made the NBA finals last year because of their defense. Um, they seemed to keep him out of the lane better than most last night. So he had to – you mentioned earlier that he was, you know uh, – had to resort to a few more threes, but also the mid-range. But he's got a complete game. He's got the total package, and he's playing with two guys that also can drive. So uh, in in Dort and Giddy, so that's going to help also make that's going to open up things around the perimeter a little bit. So he's got he's got all kinds of he's got to be a nightmare to, to game plan for. Now there's not a ton of game planning going on in the regular season, just you know, scouting report, you know, maybe in the morning or at four o'clock before three hours before tip off. It won't be as easy once the play the Thunder's back in the playoffs. But he's very difficult to game plan for because he can literally do just about everything.
1: And so, it's gonna be even harder whenever he has more weapons around him, like a Chet oh, Holmgren, yeah. and other shooters.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's it exactly. So yeah, very promising what what a start to SGA's season, no doubt about it.
1: Well, and then we finish out that game. Marcus Smart had a huge fourth quarter. um, But to me, what really stood out was just too many sloppy turnovers and sloppy plays, especially from Gideon Dort late in the third and early in the fourth, that really just seemed to get the offense out of rhythm and let the Celtics back into this game.
0: Well, yeah. And, you know, I was watching the game and I told my wife, I said, you know, when the fourth quarter started, I said, this is going to be key because. SGA is going to sit out five or six minutes, and how can they play without him? The truth is, uh, collectively, it wasn't terrible, but that uh, that fourth quarter was not good, and frankly, Giddy descended into sort of chaos. They really got to him. He had some bad turnovers, um, line of sight situations where he didn't see double teams, and they just stripped the ball from him. The, the silly inbounds pass off the back of the backboard, um, all kinds of things that were just, you know, lack of concentration. Uh, it got physicaled quite a bit. You know, the Celtics, they like to play basketball in an alley with uh, tire irons and, and you know, Giddy's not accustomed to much of that. So I thought he sort of disintegrated in that fourth quarter. Fin- <laughs> Finished with seven turnovers, um, took some bad shots, uh, but that's just what's going to happen when you're talking about a twenty-year-old who's playing, you know, get, getting used to getting used to the rigors. He's played what now? Probably I don't know, eighty or less than that. Probably seventy NBA games. So um, he's that's that's that was a big time learning environment for him. And he'll be better for it. But Thunder fans and media and everybody, not everybody's gonna just have to live with it. Uh, because he's gonna be a great player. And he Friday night he was phenomenal. But he got he got roughed up last night.
1: Yeah, these are just the growing pains that you go through with a young player, especially a young point guard who's going to make a lot of decisions for you. But you mentioned his line of sight was not great. I think the Celtics physicality really got to him. But um I think at the end of the game what really stood out to me was how much the offense devolved into what I like to call the quote-unquote Shea please save us offense where they just throw it to him at the top and just kind of it looked like four out and then Shea just kind of operating I didn't think enough guys were aggressive around him trying to take shots and just kind of hot potato it back to him
0: no I, I would agree with you uh, <clears throat> earlier in the game I just sort of for one possession I quit looking at the ball and I just watched the lane and I just watched the way everybody was moving. Robinson Earl was part of that. Santa Clara was part of that. We saw a couple of really cool backdoor-type plays. And just the flow of the offense is so much different than it used to be in the salad days of the Thunder. And it was, it was really cool to see. But that was not apparent in the fourth quarter. Um, it did grow stagnant. And part of that is just that Boston turning up the heat i mean these guys are big time defenders i mean Marcus smart he's he lives for for that kind of deal um and and tatum and and brown take pride in defense also and al horford's out there on the court good part of the time and grant williams and they didn't even have robert williams who might be the league's best defensive player so i mean they've got uh that's a defensive culture and they they're just they're just uh, you know a raging inferno waiting to suck you in and they sucked in the, they sucked in the thunder last night. Um, but still it, you know the totality of the game, you give them high high marks. I thought they were really good. Um, but Boston's going to do that to a lot of people. It did it to the Eastern Conference last spring in the playoffs. It certainly can do it to a, a young thunder team.
1: Yeah, you're talking about one of the more versatile and malleable defenses we've seen in recent NBA history in the last 20 years or so playing against a young team on a back-to-back on the road. I'd say that this was a frustrating loss, but no by no means was a bad loss at all. I think there were a lot of good signs for the Thunder in this one.
0: I don't know what exactly what all goes on in terms of these East Coast stuff. I don't know if there's like some of the major NBA writers you know, pay more attention when a team comes through New York or Boston or Philly, whatever it might be. But anybody that's been watching the Thunder the last three games has to come away impressed um, with with what they're doing. So, um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a very, very good – it's a very good development. The one thing I don't know is I don't know if we've reached a point where – you know, you know, every 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 time this happens each year, you sort of think, too good to tank. Is this Thunder team too good to tank? And what you saw in New York and against Toronto made you think that. And frankly, what you saw three quarters against Boston made you think that. On the other hand, the odds are the losses are going to mount. And the Thunder is going to be in the lottery. And they're not going to be down there with Orlando or Houston. But you know in the same way that when you're fighting for a playoff berth every win helps um, when you're fighting for lottery balls every loss helps so you know even, they played valiantly they played great well they ended up not having enough at the end against a really good team in a tough environment but it moved them one one step closer to a better lottery ball that's That's sort of the uh, consolation prize for for the Boston situation.
1: That's for sure, and you talked about it. There's no way this team's going to catch Houston or Orlando, especially, I mean, just based off the fact that they have Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who looks like a top 15 player in the NBA, and then just sort of the cultural competency of the Thunder and their coaching staff, I don't think will allow them to play as bad as some of those teams unless they just do what they did last year, where they ship off the entire roster and pick up you, me, and three guys from the stands and put jerseys on us and tell us to go out there and play a game.
0: Yeah, um, I, uh, I'm i anxious to see what happens as the season goes. Um, you know, we've seen, we haven't seen, have seen too many injuries uh, The spring day. You know, Baisley's out. Giddy was out for a few games. Um, but there's a lot to like about this Thunder team because it gets younger and better which is not you know the the way it's drawn up so still a, still a high ceiling for this team still a high uh, a fabulous uh, future for this franchise because of the young talent and the draft picks it's just difficult navigating a season like this because you know it goes back to Kenny Rogers you know no one to hold them no one to fold them you know you got to make organizational decisions and you know they're not anywhere near those decisions right now, but the, the day will come here in the next couple of months when they'll have to start making those decisions. But this team is playing so well and and so fun to watch. I don't know about you Michael. I think they're a, I think they're a hoot to watch. I mean I'm, I'm really enjoying watching this team. Um, they're very entertaining. got a lot of guys to cheer for. they do a lot of different things. Um, you know that game, that play last night where I can't remember. I think it's Kenrich Williams tipped the ball away and then dove to tap it and save it, and then Arkansas Williams dives and taps it to save it as he's going out of bounds. Um, I think even the even the uh, or sort of the pompous people of Boston were impressed with that with that defensive uh, play. So um, I think I think Thunder's a pretty charming team. Pretty charming team.
1: Yeah, I've really enjoyed watching them. It's not just Shea, which obviously you could watch the Thunder just for Shea and watch him drop 35 to 40 points and be very content and happy about it. But Josh Giddey is a wizard with the basketball. You get Doord on defense. You get Poku and the entire Poku experience of his up and downs. And the rest of the roster is just filled with all these interesting guys, like you talked about with J-Dub and Trey Mann and Kenrich Williams and others who just have a lot of potential and could be in the league for a very, very long time. But uh, we talked about Poku earlier, and I want to talk about that. You were not the biggest Poku guy for a while, so I want to get your opinion on Poku. You mentioned a little bit earlier about how much better he's playing, but what do you think have been the biggest changes for him in this season compared
0: to year one and year two? Two things I like. uh, There's a thousand things I like about Poku right now, but the two things I like the most is rim protection is going through the roof. I mean – He's, he's getting his hands in the way of a lot of stuff, um, not just the rim, but he's, he, he he stands up there and all of a sudden everybody's doesn't have a clear sight to the basket, and I like that a lot. Uh, the other thing is, and it's tied with this, he seems to realize better than ever that he's seven foot tall and that when he takes a step, it's a, a lot bigger step than the step a Lou Dort or a or a uh, Santa Clara Williams would take. I mean, he uh, his strides are massive, and he's really good in the open court. And I like the the transition offense that he provides, whether he's whether he's uh, got the ball in his hands or not. And SGA and Guinea and other people are really utilizing him. But he's figured out that hey. He can go to the basket and one step gets him pretty far down the road towards a layup or a dunk. So his efficiency's going way up. His shooting's way better. That's clear. Um, he has gone a few games now without a without a uh, grimacing uh, a, a grimacing shot. You know he's famous once a game for falling down and. Hitting, throwing up a shot that looks like a seventh grader, you know, either an air ball or over the backboard or side of the backboard or something crazy. He's not doing much of that anymore. His shots look like NBA shots. They don't all go in, but you know, they just hit the rim and go off. And he's shooting much better. I just I like those things about his game. He's skilled and he's seven foot, and he seems to have remembered the seven foot part. And that's that's gonna help the thunder.
1: I think you're right. I mean, the most development you've seen is from his body, which a lot of people can't tell just by looking at him. But just from his game, you mentioned his shooting. It just looked like he wasn't strong enough to get the ball all the way up there the first couple of years. But now it looks a lot easier for him. Um, The game looks like it's really slowed down for him. And what I really appreciate this. I hope this doesn't sound like being a homer here, but. He was drafted into the right environment. He wasn't drafted somewhere where he was going to be pushed into playing with high expectations very early, like you see with the Knicks, who would have already kicked him out of town after one year. But the Thunder were very, very patient with him, and it seems like it's paying dividends right now.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. The the Thunder has been patient with him and is still going to be patient with him. And um, if he had, you know, the Knicks are a good example, and there are others, Um, you know, the truth is. There's teams right now he'd be playing more and would be more valuable to because there are teams that could use some talent. Um, but um, the Thunder's playing the long game, and they didn't know what they had when they drafted him, and they still don't know what they have. But what they have is a lot better than what they did have. And he's, he's reached the point. Here's what I'll say about Poku. <clears throat> I have no idea what he's going to become. However, this time last year, maybe this time at the end of last season, I had doubts that what he was going to become was an NBA player. I don't have those doubts. I think he's an NBA player. Can he be a rotational player on a playoff team? I'm not sure. I think so, but I'm not sure. Can he be a starter on a really good team? I don't know. But I'm not really putting too many limits on him at this point because he he can do so many things, and that's why you draft a guy, a skilled seven-footer. What we're seeing out of Poku is why you draft a skilled seven-footer Yeah, because he, he can just do things other people can't because his arms are so long. And his body's so far off the ground. You can't it teach height. And
1: if you have this no. many picks, you're going to have to take some swings at the fences. And you're seeing it with the Poku and even Jang in this last draft in the very similar vein of you got to take chances for these high risk, high reward guys. And if you have this many picks and you trust your developmental staff, sooner or later one of these guys is going to pop.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I think he's a great. He's a great, great. He's a great lesson. You know, I, I, it's not the same kind of. It's not the same kind of basketball development story. But 30 years ago, Eddie Sutton signed a seven-foot kid out of Gans, Oklahoma, who was sort of a, I don't know, sort of a doofus on the court, we might say. Big and lumbering and not terribly aesthetically pleasing. But he worked hard and he had some skill. And Bryant Reeves, by his sophomore year, was the big Eight player of the year. By his senior year, he led OSU to the Final Four. And he was just – he had some things he could do with the basketball. He had a good shooting touch. He had soft hands. And he was seven foot tall. And that's just an inherent advantage in basketball. Poku's got it. Um, I think the Thunder's figuring out how to use that.
1: Yeah, big country. A guy who used to give Shaq nightmares, I think he talked about. But (laughs) – Poku it's been really impressive, and I think what's really helped him a lot is just playing with other competent players where it just really settles him and in, in his role of being kind of a facilitator and a connector and a defender on defense where he knows exactly what's being asked of him. It's not changing throughout the season like the last couple of years where it's like you play four minutes a night and now you're starting and we need to run the offense through you
0: yeah it's um it and you know what he's not he doesn't seem a liability. You know, some guys, when they're just learning to play in the NBA, their liability for their talents and their skill and their development, all those things. But Poku was almost a liability the last couple years with just how he played. And it was almost like his team had to, and Dagnall sort of had to bring him along and, you know, sort of just look out for him and cover for him. Uh, because it was just everything was so new and foreign. I don't detect that anymore. I detect that, you know, when he makes a mistake now, it's just because he, he missed a shot or he just missed an assignment or something. It's not like he's lost. He. I guess the quickest, way, surest way to say it is he looks like he belongs.
1: I think that's the best he way to put like it. Mark Dagnall had the quote of the night last night where he said, if you told me two years ago when Poku and Al Horford were teammates that two years later he'd be playing – 36 minutes and guarding al horford the entire night i would ask for a sobriety test
0: well yeah it was pretty good of course Dagnall is putting together a pretty good uh a pretty good uh, cache of of poku quotes he had the he had the spaceship quote from the preseason which was a really good one so um he's fun you know what he's fun to talk about he's fun to write about he's fun to watch absolutely Uh, I like like poker
1: Thunder fans need to get out and watch this team Barry before we get out of here is there anything you have to plug
0: I you know what I don't have any uh, I don't have any Thunder stuff coming up Um, I'm I'm working on a piece but it's not going to be ready I think it's I think it's time we declared SGA a superstar Uh, so be looking out for that um, and uh, the other thing I really like is um, all these different players. You know, the, the Thunder played without Baseline Man last night, and uh, Dagnall coming in, keeping everybody involved. I've I've read a lot of Bill James, the baseball, the baseball observer who sees baseball in a, in a different way and has done a great job over the years trying to make me see the world differently. And Dagnald is becoming like a baseball manager who uses his entire roster. And maybe other people around the NBA have done that, but um, I haven't seen that much in the NBA. Certainly hadn't seen it at the Thunder before now where you wake up and literally every day you might be, you might be needed starting lineup changes night to night. I love that. The the uh the rotation changes every night. I love that. Arkansas Williams, you forget he's on the team, then all of a sudden he's in there playing against the Celtics. I love that. So, I'm I'm going to be working on a piece on that very soon. Just on the idea that you know everybody is involved and that's got to keep people happy and and make for a better work environment. So, um the, the, the Thunder's somebody to keep an eye on
1: exactly they're not, going to
0: the play, they're not going to the playoffs They're not going. You know, this is not going to be some Cinderella season but there are things to watch about this team that are really interesting
1: exactly and we'll keep you all up to date on that um, thanks for listening to the Thunder Buddies we are brought to you by the Oklahoman rate us five stars and tell your friends about us and uh, make sure to listen back on every Tuesday and Friday thank you so much for listening